Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Last week, the Apostle Paul gave his discouraged friend and fellow servant, Timothy, two choices. I'm still not used to this. Choice number one, Timothy can be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and ashamed of Paul himself. You know, many people would not blame Timothy for that. After all, loyalty to a crucified Savior and an imprisoned mentor wasn't exactly admirable in their eyes. Or, choice number two, Timothy could share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Of course, this would make no sense in the eyes of the world. It would seem like Timothy was a glutton for punishment. Standing firm in his faith in Jesus and his love for Paul could lead Timothy to prison or worse. That road is hard and narrow. Meanwhile, being ashamed of the gospel could make life much more comfortable for Timothy. That road is easy and wide. But Paul already knows what will happen. He's confident that Timothy really does believe the testimony of the Lord Jesus. And the person who really believes the gospel will suffer for this gospel. In a sense, every believer stands at the same crossroads. We face the same choice that Timothy faced. If and when the time comes for believers like us to share in suffering for the gospel, whether that suffering is physical, social, material, professional, or anything else, which path will we take? The moment could be coming when our association with the truths of the Christian faith is no longer advantageous to us getting ahead in the world. The season could be approaching when holding fast to the Bible's words about God, humanity, and the world isn't even just neutral in our efforts to live in peace and prosperity and prestige. Rather, it's actively harmful to those goals. A time of alienation, rejection, and even hatred for our faith could one day arrive. So we Christians must ask ourselves now, if and when that time comes, will we persevere by the power of God and the Holy Spirit living within us, or will we cave under pressure for the sake of worldly comforts, security, and acceptance? But today we move ahead, reading 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. And these verses conclude this first big section of Paul's final letter, focusing on this theme of Christian endurance through hardship. The verses that we read today are often seen as being geared towards pastors or missionaries or other Christian vocations. These verses have been read at many church leadership conferences and ordination services or seminary graduation ceremonies. But Paul's words today about faithfulness to the challenges of following Christ don't just apply to the professional Christians. 
These words are useful for every believer in Jesus. So open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Feel free to follow along both here in the room and if you're watching online. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Uh, Thank you for the challenging words that we read last week in 2 Timothy. Uh, Lord, thank you for the challenges that we read this morning in 2 Timothy. Uh, But thank you for the end of this passage that we'll read in just a few minutes. Uh, The breath of fresh air as we're reminded of your faithfulness to us. Again, it's good and healthy and necessary for us to be challenged and spurred on to faithfulness in you. But I pray that as we read your word this morning, we would not forget your faithfulness to us. You are so good to us, so patient to us, so kind to us, so generous to us. And Lord, we worship you for that. We thank you for that. That's seen most clearly through your son, Jesus. It's seen most clearly through the crucifixion, as Craig just described it. Uh, It's seen clearly through the resurrection, uh, that you sent your son to do that for us. Uh, Lord, for that, we can simply sit here in awe and wonder and worship and praise. So, Lord, again, thank you for this time that we have together to do just that, to consider who you are, to be amazed by who you are, and to thank you for who you are. We love you. We glorify you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, starting in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So in these first seven verses, Paul gives Timothy no less than three commands. First, Timothy is to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We see that in verse 1. Now notice what Paul doesn't say in that verse. Paul does not say, you then, my child, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Paul doesn't say, Timothy, son, keep a stiff upper lip. Paul doesn't say, come on, champ, dig down deep and find your second wind. He doesn't say any of those things. Timothy isn't going to accomplish what God has called him to do by looking within himself for strength. Timothy's power to press on, persevere, and endure in the faith will only come by the grace, the power, and the help that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you know your way around a church, 
And if you're familiar with the Bible, you may think that goes without saying. We hear it all the time. It doesn't go without saying. If it didn't go without saying for Timothy, it doesn't go without saying for us. If you think you can stand firm in your faith and in your mission purely by your blood, your sweat, and your tears, you are sadly mistaken. Instead, look to the gifts of God's grace for strength to move ahead. Look to God's word. Look to your brothers and sisters in God's church. Look to God's spirit and look to God's son for strength, not within yourself. Timothy may have been tempted to forget that. And often so are we. The second command that Paul gives Timothy is seen in verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, a.k.a. the gospel, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In all likelihood, Paul is referring specifically to church elders. Appointing elders in local churches was probably one of Timothy's primary tasks. Which is part of why Paul devotes so much of his time to outlining the qualifications for elders in his first letter to Timothy. One of the most important criteria for a good elder in 1 Timothy 3 is being able to teach. Able to teach. Perhaps the most significant responsibility of a faithful elder is both promoting sound doctrine... And refuting unsound doctrine. Paul commands Timothy to find men who are capable of doing that and to entrust them to do it. It's worth mentioning this as our church enters elder nomination season, as we said just a few minutes ago. This verse is quite timely for us. Right now, we're soliciting feedback on this very thing from the members of this church. Churches today need faithful and capable elders just as much as the churches did back then. So I pray that you would take our elder nominations seriously and keep 2 Timothy 2.2 in mind as you consider who's qualified and who's competent to serve as an elder at this church. And then we get to the third command that Paul gives Timothy. That's in verse 3. And it ought to be familiar to us by now if we were here last week. Share in suffering for the gospel. Share in suffering for the gospel. But this time around, Paul gives three very down-to-earth illustrations to help us understand what this might look like. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. The good soldier has a single-minded commitment to his commanding officer. The dedicated athlete ought to take very seriously the rules of the competition if he hopes to win, unless you're the Houston Astros. The patient farmer is persistent in his work, even if the fruit of his labors takes a long time to appear. Timothy is to have a laser-like focus on his calling from God rather than succumbing to mission creep. 
He is to be obedient to God as he does it, rather than cheating and taking shortcuts along the way. And he is to work hard, knowing that while the gratification of serving the Lord may be delayed, God will ultimately bless his efforts. Likewise for us, following Jesus is an audacious calling. It's one that demands our full attention, our willing obedience, and our patient persistence. As Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. We're called to have a type of tunnel vision with our eyes set on our Lord. There's no cutting corners in our faith and our mission if we hope to get the prize at the end. And the true reward may seem like it's a long way off. And in a way, it really may be. But we keep our hands on the plow knowing that one day we will reap a reward from all this sowing. So almost everything that Paul has given Timothy so far applies to us in some way as well. And not just pastors or missionaries or people who get paid by a church. Every believer is called to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We're all called to find faithful and capable church leaders to teach us and teach others the gospel. And we're all called to share in suffering for the testimony of the Lord Jesus. Now that alone gives you a lot to consider, doesn't it? As Paul says in verse 7, you need time to think over it. You need to chew on it. Ask God to help you understand what this all looks like for you. Ask God to help you understand how you can be devoted to the cause of his kingdom like a single-minded soldier, a dedicated athlete, or a patient farmer in the time and place that God has put you. So you might say that verses 1 through 7 are Timothy's commands. But what are Timothy's motivations? For that, we move ahead to verse 8. Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So we have our three commands and we have three motivations. The first motivation, any guesses? Jesus Christ. The Sunday school answer that will never let you down. Don't ever forget who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. This is another one of those things that we Christians may think goes without saying. It doesn't. If it didn't go without saying for Timothy, it doesn't go without saying for us. Remember that the eternal second person of the Trinity put on fully human flesh subjected himself to the pains and temptations of a fully fallen world, 
died for your sins as your great high priest and sacrificial lamb on the cross and rose again. Remember Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he has yet to do, namely his return. Because if you forget that basic bedrock motivation of who Jesus is, then nothing else you do, your soldier's devotion, your athlete's discipline, your farmer's work ethic, if you forget the main motivation of who Jesus is, none of that really matters, does it? Remember Jesus Christ. The second motivation, the power of the gospel. Last week we read that Paul knows in whom he has believed. He was convinced that God was able to guard him until the last day. And here Paul expresses a similar confidence by saying that the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Paul's opponents could chain him. They could chain Timothy. They could even chain you. But they cannot chain the gospel. They cannot chain the good news. The word of God is not bound. So no matter what happens to us, no matter what pains and sorrows and trials may come as a result of following Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gates of hell itself will not prevail against Christ's church. They can even kill us. But guess what? We follow the one who abolished death and brought life and immortality. So we keep going in our faith and in our mission, motivated by the fact that in the end, we win. The gospel is powerful. The word of God is not bound. It can't be bound. And then the third motivation for why we do all this stuff of following Jesus your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul refers to them in this passage as the elect, God's chosen people, those who have chosen Christ. Paul suffers, Paul endures, Paul serves for them. His work, his prayers, his example, and your work, your prayers, your example can be used by God to bring more sinners to know the Lord. God can use your work, your prayers, and your example to encourage your brothers and sisters to endure sufferings as well and ultimately obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Your work, your prayers, and your example can help others get to the finish line of the faith. You're not called to share in suffering for the gospel just for the sake of your own salvation. 
but to encourage others in theirs. So keep going in your faith and in your mission. Because God can use your faithfulness to inspire others to faithfulness. So Timothy has his three commands in verses 1 through 7. He has his three motivations in verses 8 through 10. But then Paul seems to shift gears quite a bit in verse 11. We pick up there. The saying is trustworthy. That phrase happens several different times in 1st and 2nd Timothy. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Some argue that these verses were originally featured in an early Christian hymn, or even a reading that might be used at a baptism. But as I read them, I found myself thinking about some of the passages that we read a week ago. That phrase about dying and living might make you think of Mark 8, 34 and 35. Jesus says there, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus says, if you're willing to die, you'll actually end up living. And if all you care about is living, then you're going to end up dead. And then we see that second part. Paul's words about those who endure with him will reign with him. Sounds a lot like Romans 8, 16 and 17, which we read last week. Paul says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And it's children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Those who endure will reign. Those who suffer will be glorified. And then we go back to Mark chapter 8, verse 38. That third part about denying Christ and thus Christ denying us. Jesus said back then, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But then we get to verse 13. Look again at verse 13. What's going on there, do you think? What does it mean? Doesn't it contradict verse 12? The Apostle Peter once denied Jesus. He did it at Jesus' deepest time of need as he stared down his own cross. And Peter didn't just do it once. He did it three separate times. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter was given a stunning taste of God's grace for a weak and cowardly sinner. So are we called to endurance and perseverance and faithfulness? Absolutely we are. 
But will we always rise to the occasion? Do we perfectly answer that call? Are we up to the challenge every single time? If we're being honest, the answer is no. But in those moments when we are guilty of losing our focus on the Lord, those moments when we're tempted to cut corners in the race of our faith, those moments when we grow impatient with the long, slow, often unrewarding work of our mission, in those moments we can be confident that God is faithful to us through his son, Jesus Christ, even if we aren't perfectly faithful to him. Now, does that mean that we can consistently deny Jesus with our words and our actions and everything be all right in the end? Of course not. That flies in the face of everything Paul has written up to this point in Second Timothy. But we do remember that God is gracious. God is kind. God is faithful to his suffering servants, even when we're tempted to waver and wander. You have to think that reminder would have been a breath of fresh air to the discouraged Timothy. And it's a breath of fresh air for us as well. After all of these challenges to endure and persevere and be faithful in the first part of this letter... A short and simple reminder of Jesus' endurance, of Jesus' perseverance, of Jesus' faithfulness to us when we fail, that reminder is certainly welcome. So yes, Paul gives us commands in these verses. And yes, Paul gives us good reasons to obey these commands. But as we close, it's worth noting that this passage both begins and ends with God's grace. Everything we're called to believe and do and say and be as followers of Jesus. And even our motivations for all of it. It all begins and ends with God's grace. Our service to the Lord is hard work. We will need a soldier's focus, an athlete's dedication, and a farmer's persistence to fulfill this calling. We do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, with confidence in the power of the gospel, and for the good of our brothers and sisters. But we always remember that our strength for this service will not come from within us. We are to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we always remember, especially in those moments when we feel faithless, that he is faithful. We have been united to Christ by faith. We are one with him by faith. And because he cannot deny himself, he will not deny you. He will not deny those who belong to him. That is good news, not just for professional Christians, pastors and missionaries and people who work in churches. That is good news for every single believer in Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the commands that you give us in Scripture that tell us how to live, that tell us what to do, that tell us the best way to flourish in the creation that you've made, the way to live in relationship with you. And thank you for the motivations. Thank you that we are not doing this just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for reminding us constantly of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, rather than just giving us a list of rules. And Lord, thank you that when we're tempted to step back and doubt and wander, waver, ask ourselves whether or not this is really all worth it and what this is all for, remind us of the power of the gospel that your word is not bound, and give us confidence to press on. And Lord, thank you that with all these commands and all these motivations that you give us, it's always surrounded with your grace. Again, everything we say, everything we do, everything we are as followers of Jesus is a result of your grace. And so, Lord, remind us of that, even when the work is hard. Even when following you and knowing you and believing you and obeying you is costly. Remind us of your grace that empowers us, enables us, encourages us to keep going. We glorify you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.